Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Well, good morning, church. We're so glad that you've joined us today, whether that's in person or online. Uh, my name is Cam, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, some of you may not know that in my early 20s, I was the guitar player in a rock and roll band. <laughs> right? It's true. It's true. Uh, over a number of years, uh, we had the privilege of playing many concerts, uh, recording some albums, even touring across Canada along the way. What was the name of the band? Uh, uh, I'll leave that to your imagination. <laughs> but I will give you proof uh, in case you don't believe me. Uh, here's uh, the, the cool guy with the red sleeves. That's me. And uh, we got to play some pretty cool, uh, cool spots. That's in Quebec City. And uh, just in case you didn't think I was cool enough, I thought I'd show you uh, the, my sideburn phase. Now, we uh, were unapologetically a Christian band, uh, which means that we wrote songs about God, about the gospel, and we recorded and performed music to introduce people to and nudge people towards Jesus. Now, I'll never forget um, that we were, when we were about to embark on a Canada-wide tour, my uncle... The one that I mentioned last week, who regularly gave away more than he could afford to, came up to me and handed me some money to help us while we were out on the road. Now, knowing how little he had and seeing how generous his gift was, I protested saying, you can't afford to do this. To which he responded with absolute sincerity, I can't afford not to. And what he meant by that is that he saw his gift as an investment in the kingdom of God. That if we were going to do ministry across Canada, introducing people to Jesus who may never meet him anywhere else, he couldn't miss out on the opportunity to be a part of it. You see, my uncle understood something about money, about generosity, about giving, that many of us don't understand. Those who love the Lord see giving as an opportunity, not as an obligation. Right? My uncle did not support our ministry reluctantly or with hesitation or out of any sense of obligation. We weren't even raising money. We didn't ask anyone for anything. But he supported our ministry with absolute joy and expectation, even thankfulness, that he was blessed enough to have the opportunity to take part in what God was doing. In my uncle's understanding of giving, the real cost would be in missing the opportunity to give. Friends, we are uh, at week three in our series within a series on giving. All right, the Gospel of Mark that we've been in for nearly a year has led us into this discussion. And so far, we've been challenged by the scriptures to, to rethink ownership, right? That everything we have actually belongs to God and to ponder our responsibility and opportunity to participate with God by giving some of what he's given us back to him through faithful giving to the church by, ways of, by way of tithes and offerings. And today, it's my hope that we will be challenged when it comes to our attitudes about giving, that, that each of us would take a step uh, towards the attitude displayed by my uncle in giving to the ministry of our band 
that we would see giving as a wonderful opportunity and not just some religious obligation. And to start this process, I I want us to look at a verse in 2 Corinthians, which was actually displayed on the screens just a few minutes ago. 2 Corinthians 9-7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, there are some who may see this principle of cheerful giving as a bit of an oxymoron, right? That, that God loves a cheerful giver is a lot like saying the Winnipeg Parking Authority loves it when we pay our parking tickets with a smile, right? Or that the government prefers that we pay our taxes enthusiastically, right? Our, our culture certainly doesn't encourage holding our possessions with open hands or that giving away what we have worked so hard to earn is a wise idea. And many, if they do give, do so reluctantly or out of a sense of obligation. But according to this passage, this simple verse that we looked at, not only is it possible to give away what you have and be happy about it, But this attitude is actually the preferred attitude of God's people when they give. We are to give joyfully, right? This is the heart that God desires for all of us to have when we think about and when we participate in the process of giving, right? That that not only that we do give, but that we want to give. And so for this morning, I want us to look briefly at, at six reasons. Again, this list is not exhaustive, but six, le- six reasons that, that we can give joyfully. Six reasons that giving serves to increase our joy rather than squash our happiness as we keep less for ourselves. And this first reason uh, that giving can be joyful, we're not going to spend a ton of time here, but it's first for a reason, is that giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. The Bible says that we have been put on this earth to worship God, to bring glory to his name. It's why we were created. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, I formed and made. Right? We were created to bring glory to God. And if this is true, then we are most closely living out our purpose We are most truly ourselves. We are most likely to find joy and satisfaction when we worship him, when we put him above all else, when we make the most of him and when our lives point in his direction. And the way that we make God the highest, the way that we worship him is by offering to him what we have, submitting all that we are and all that we have to him. When we give of ourselves, our our time, our talent, our treasure, and we offer it to God, we are worshiping him. We are telling him that we love him. We are saying that he is the most important, and we are living within our intended purpose on this earth. Just as worshiping God through music can bring us joy, just as coming to him in prayer or studying God's word can bring us joy, so too should we be joyful when in worship we lay everything down at his feet, giving back to him because that is what we are created to do. The second reason that we can give joyfully is that giving allows us to participate with God. 
Right? Giving is participation with what God is doing. And we talked about this briefly last week. Right? Giving of what we have to God involves us in the process of what God is doing in the world. Right? When we give to God, we become investors in whatever God chooses to do with what we have given. Right? Just like uh, my uncle who felt that he would be missing out if he didn't invest we too need to see our gifts, our tithes, our offerings, that, that they are ways to ensure that we play a meaningful part in the story of what God is doing on this earth. Right? As we acknowledged last week, God doesn't actually need us. Right? I'm not going to get you to turn to your neighbor and say that. But in truth, God doesn't actually need us. He will accomplish his will on this earth with or without us. But... He, in his kindness, wants to do it with us. He invites us to join him. He invites us to be a part of it. He invites us to participate in the advancement of his kingdom. And so the question for us then is, why would we choose not to play a role in the story that God is writing here? Right? Why would we choose to spend what we have on something else when we ultimately know that the kingdom of God will be all that matters in the end, the only thing of any real value. Uh, just over a month ago, Steve and I, along with Dave and Jane Cork, had the incredible privilege of traveling to India and Nepal to connect with church leaders over there. And for me, the, the, one of the best parts of this experience was seeing with my own eyes what God has done through the people at Grant Memorial who said yes to be used by him, to give a portion of what they had, right? We had the privilege of visiting a few churches that are currently in existence because we as a church raised the funds to build them, right? There are people right now in India and Nepal who are meeting together, who are sowing the seed of the gospel because of this faith community because Grant Memorial decided to join in in what God is doing around the world. And there are pastors that we as a church support financially um, out of our regular tithes and offerings. And we had the privilege of meeting some of these uh, people personally, of hearing the ways that God has used them to lead people to the Lord and to establish more churches. Again, these are people who are funded in part by your generosity. They're enabled in ministry by this faith community, which makes us partners in what God is doing. Right? Friends, if you contributed to our Imagine a Place campaign a number of years ago, or if you currently give to our church through just our general donations, when you go to sleep tonight... Know that there are people in this world who know Jesus and who are being discipled because you faithfully said yes to give of what you had to God. I have seen it firsthand. Now here's the thing. If we didn't give, would those churches cease to exist? No. Right? God would, would likely have, have used someone else Right? Used another church, a different donor to make it happen. But we are the ones who would be missing out on participating in God's work in and through them. Right? What a joy, friends, it was for me to see our giving at work because God invited us to join with him and we said yes to that partnership. 
Right? Well, God could have used someone else. He could have funded a church pro- project or supported an evangelistic ministry another way. In his kindness, he was able to use you and he was able to use me because we said yes. And this happens every single time we give. Right? God always multiplies and uses our gifts for his own kingdom. Whether we see those results right in front of us or if the results are playing out 11,000 kilometers away. Our investments always have a significant return when we invest in the kingdom of God. Right? And what a joy it is to know that when we give, the kingdom of God is being expanded with every single penny. We can give with joy knowing that God uses what we give and we get to be a part of what he does. Third reason that we can be joyful in giving is that giving reminds us of God's blessing. Right? It's, it's a reminder of what God has blessed us with. There's a passage in the Old Testament where King David asks for donations from all the Israelite people to help build the temple for the Lord that his son Solomon would build after David's death. And David has the privilege before he dies of watching the donations come in and seeing the generosity of God's people. And before he dies, when he takes an inventory of all that has been given to build the temple, David asks this question of God. 1 Chronicles 29, 14. He says, who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Did you catch that? Who, Who are we that we are able to give like this? Right? David, upon looking at all that the people had given, praised God. He didn't praise the people for their generosity. He didn't praise himself for being such a great leader or fundraiser. No, he praised God for giving them the opportunity to give back to him. To King David, it was a privilege to bring offerings to the Lord. Not an obligation, but an opportunity asking, who are we that we would be given such an opportunity? that we could be blessed to give like this. And did you notice why David was so blown away by the donations that came in? It was because they showed him just how much God had blessed his people with. Right? In verse, uh, at the end of verse 14, he said, everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Now, I don't think this is how it went. I don't know. But in my mind, it's just a big pile of money that was uh, brought to the temple. Right? So that's the way I picture it. But, but if, if this pile of money, and, and as you read through the text, it points out what was brought. This money, and there's gold, and there's silver, and there's precious stones and woodwork. But if this pile of offerings is simply a portion of what the Israelites had. right? This was just what they were able to give away. Can you imagine the sum of what they had if it were all to be accounted for? Right? The offerings reminded David how blessed he and his people were, how much God had given them, and he thanked the Lord for the blessing. Right? And this should be true for us. 
When you give of what you have to God, it ought to be a joyful reminder of how much God has given you, right? We ought to ponder the full blessing that our gifts are simply a portion of. Church, if you look around, and you can do that right now, look around even at this place. If, I think it's, I think it's a, appropriate for us to ask as David did, who are we? Right? Not only to have a place like this within which to worship, but also who are we that such a small portion of what we have put together gave us this incredible space and pays for gifted godly staff to lead our ministries and allows us to participate with missionaries and organizations around the world who are spreading the gospel. Right? If, if just a small portion of what God has given us looks like this, or, or, or looks like the cars in our parking lot, let's not miss how incredibly generous God has been to us as individuals and as a faith family. And so when we give, right, may, may we joyfully count ourselves as extremely blessed. May, may the, the 5% or 10% or 20% that we give remind us of the full 100% that we have received from a generous and loving God. Now for the next uh, two points, the next two reasons that we can be joyful in giving, um, I want to go back to a text that we looked at briefly last week. In, in Malachi 3, God told his people that they were robbing him by withholding their tithes. Do you remember that? Well, let's read that text again, but continue to read two promises that God makes afterwards for those who do not rob God, for those who, who give willingly and faithfully to him. Okay, so Malachi 3, uh, 8 to 11, and we'll start with what we read last week, and then we'll keep reading. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my temple. Now listen to this next part. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. So before we get to the two promises embedded in there and reasons for joy in this text, notice that this is the only time in all of the scriptures where God encourages his people to test him, right? Everywhere else, this is a no-no, right? We are told not to test God. But here, in speaking about money, God encourages this, saying, test me when it comes to my provision." If you were here last week, you remember the context of this passage. God's people had not been faithful in bringing him their tithes. They had stopped giving God what he was due. They had stopped being generous towards him. Now, why would they do this? 
And while we don't have the whole picture, we don't know exactly the motivations of these individuals, uh, likely they were falling away from God. They had stopped seeing God in, in everything. There, there's a little bit more to the context. But, but it, it would not be a stretch, according to what we know of the history and the Israelites at the time, to suggest that, that they were likely afraid to give their tithes to God because they were worried about having enough. Right? They didn't bring God the 10%, which was required at the time, because they weren't confident that they could survive on the 90% that was left over. They didn't trust that God would take care of them with what they had left if they tithed off the top. And we understand this fear, don't we? You, you can't turn on the news these days or oh, pick up a, a paper or scroll through social media without hearing about inflation or impending recession and rising prices, right? You can't go to the store right now without feeling it yourself, right? And you're not alone. A poll was just done. And here are some of the stats. 47%, that's half of Canadians, believe their financial situation has gotten worse over the past year. 64% of Canadians, that's two-thirds, believe that the economy will deteriorate further in the next year. 43% of Canadians, again, uh, nearly half, reported losing sleep over finances recently. Less than 16%, think about that, 16, one-six, of Canadians believe that their wages are high enough to keep up with inflation. Over 20% have begun skipping meals or reducing meal sizes due to soaring prices. And 47% of Canadians, that's one half of Canadians, are $200 or less per month away from insolvency. But perhaps most shockingly, Canadians report being just as afraid of their debt as they are of death. When it comes to money, fear is a significant factor. And that fear is very much alive today, right? When we struggle to pay the bills or when we begin to feel the pinch, our fear tells us that we need to stop being generous, stop giving. We need to protect ourselves. We need to look out for number one because if we don't, we might not have enough. But in this text, God says the opposite, he and he invites us to give his advice a trial run, right? To put his wisdom and his provision to the test. Verse 10, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Right? And there we find the first promise in this passage and reason to remain joyful and faithful in giving. You see, giving invites God's provision. Right? Giving invites God's provision. In short, God takes care of those who trust in him. Right? God promises so much so that he gives basically a money-back guarantee here that he will take care of those who trust in him, even in a recession, even in the face of, of inflation. Right? For those who fear not having enough after they give faithfully, God says that he will give us more than we need. Pastor and author Daryl Johnson says this. Regarding the tithe, God says, test me. 
Do what I tell you to do. Bring in the whole tithe and watch what I will do. Do you see how God speaks to our fear? The fear that we will not be able to make it on 90%. God's promise is you will not be living on the 90%. Bring in the whole tithe and you will be living on more than 90%. You'll be living on the extra blessing I will pour out on you. You will have more at your disposal than you are trying to keep. And Johnson goes on to say that in his 42 years as a Christian at the time, he has never met or heard of anyone who has proved God to be a liar about this promise. And, and I agree. I have never met or heard of a Christian who faithfully gives, who faithfully ties, going without the necessities of life. Right? The promise God makes is that he will take care of those who trust in him, that no one will starve because they have tithed. And it's a promise that God is willing to be tested on. In fact, not only will they not starve, but the Bible says that God will give them abundantly more. Now, this is not necessarily monetarily, but those who give will receive blessing from God. Deuteronomy 15.10 says, Give generously and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 8 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, this is a pastoral letter. This is pastoral advice from Paul to Timothy saying, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends, the God who owns it all will take care of us. We will receive all we need and we will be blessed in what we do when we have a heart that seeks after God's heart and when we fix our eyes on his kingdom and not the kingdoms we're tempted to build for ourselves here. Church, be joyful. God will take care of your needs. Think about that for a second. Think about the freedom that that brings to release those anxieties. God will take care of your needs. And God promises one more thing in this Malachi passage to those who give faithfully to him. And that promise, which also brings joy, is that God protects those who trust in him. Right? Giving invites God's protection. You see, after he invited his people to test his provision, he promises that not only will he provide, but he will protect as well. Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I have to say the NIV translation, which we use typically, that I just read from, uh, here is actually a, a poor one, uh, suggesting that pests devour the crops. 
In fact, the original Hebrew says nothing of pests, but rather speaks of the enemy. Listen to the ESV translation, which I think is is much, much better. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Right? I will rebuke the devourer. This isn't about pests. I will rebuke the devourer. You see, friends, there is an enemy who robs us of what it is that we keep for ourselves. Right? The principle here is that when we with, withhold our tithes and our offerings from the Lord, when we keep 100% for ourselves, we don't actually have 100% at our disposal because the devourer eats away at the 100%. Right? What God is saying here is that there is a God of money. We read about it as uh, named Mammon all throughout the scriptures. Right? And, and many of us willingly... Or just kind of over time, begin to serve mammon. We put our trust in mammon, right? Many of us trust in money to take care of our needs, to provide for us, to protect us, to make us happy, to fulfill our lives, to give us purpose. We make an idol out of money and what it can buy for us. But here's the thing. If we worship mammon... When, when we make money our God, when we trust in our money rather than our God, it gets devoured and we're, we're left with less than the 100% we thought that we kept. Because mammon gives us an insatiable appetite for all kinds of things that cost us. All kinds of things that we do not need. Mammon causes us to blow what we do have, to waste our resources on non-essentials. Mammon convinces us to spend on things we think will make us happy, but don't. It causes us to compare what we have with what others have and try and catch up. Mammon breeds discontentment, envy, greed, and frivolous spending, all of which, at the end of the day, leaves us with less than we would have if we had put our trust in God, not in our money. God's promise here is that if you give 10%, just as an example, again, he will protect the 90% from being devoured. He will protect you from greed and from envy and all that which serves to take what you have. But if you keep it all, if you hold on to and trust in the 100%, at the end of the day, the 100% will not sustain you because it will be devoured and leave you with nothing to show for it. Friends, haven't we all experienced this? Money will leave us wanting no matter how much we have. J.D. Rockefeller, the still arguably the richest man ever on the planet, was asked once by a reporter, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Right? It's relative. How many of us have gotten you know, a raise at some point only to find that every additional dollar seems to be spent before you even get the new paycheck, right? Our money seems to go no matter what we make, doesn't it? I'm making more money now than I did when I entered the workforce. I anticipate that's the case for most of us. But the crazy thing is I don't seem to have any more at my disposal. 
Now, I could blame my kids, and I do. <laughs> but the reality is that, that I have simply adjusted my lifestyle bit by bit at the encouragement of mammon to match my income, right? We move from renting to owning. We move from one car to two cars, and so on and so on. Right? Many of us, for the most part, spend according to what we make. The money we have disappears whether we give off the top or not. Our money always finds its way out of our pockets, whether it's spent on godly things or wasted on unnecessary things, because mammon never says stop. Mammon always demands more, and spending begets spending. Right? If you were to buy a new phone today, let's say, right? Maybe you're sitting there going, man, all I need is this new phone, right? That'll solve all my problems. <laughs> It'll probably give you tons of problems. But anyways, either way, for the sake of illustration, you, you have this new phone. You go, this is how much it's going to cost me. And you're ready to spend that much on this phone that you need. Well, what, oh, my apologies. What happens when you buy that new phone? Is that enough? Or do you now have a list of things you need to buy because you have a new phone, right? I got to get the new charger, the power cable, the headphones, the case, the screen protector, right? And on and on it goes. Things that you wouldn't need if you didn't buy the first thing. It's a cycle. Spending begets spending, and there will always be something to spend on. The devourer will always eat away at what we think we are saving by keeping what we have to ourselves. But... When we release what we have into God's care, when we give of what we have to him and then trust him for provision, he will take care of us and he will protect us and what we have from the devourer. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's funny because the Greek says you cannot serve both God and mammon. We have a choice to make. Will we give what we have to God and trust in him? Or will we give what we have to mammon and put our trust there? God says, test me. And see if I'm not a much more trustworthy money manager than the, than the devourer is. When we give, friends, we can give joyfully, knowing that our God will protect what we do have and will provide for us everything we need. The final way that giving brings joy, at least that we're exploring today, is that giving increases our faith. Right? Giving increases our faith. See, when we do put our trust in him, we get to watch what God does with our gifts. We get to watch what God does with our lives. And as God proves to be faithful, as we see him provide, our faith in him increases. You see, just as spending begets spending, giving begets giving. Right? When we give, when we participate in what God is doing and we see God use what we've given for eternal purposes, we want to give again. 
right? Or when we take a leap of faith to trust in God with less rather than ourselves with more, we realize that the math always checks out in God's favor and we're encouraged to take even more leaps of faith. Perhaps most importantly, giving increases our faith because it changes our relationship with God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which means both that I give to what I value and that I value that to which I give. Right? So as we give our treasure to God, Jesus says that our hearts begin to follow. Right? Just, just like if I invest, I don't know, Samsung. Right? If I invest in Samsung, I begin to care more about Samsung doing well. I begin to care more about Samsung achieving its goals. Well, as, as we invest in the kingdom of God, our priorities change, right? And we begin to want what God wants. We begin to prioritize what he prioritizes. And as a result, we come to know him better than we did before when we were chasing our own desires, right? Our hearts follow our money. Giving brings us closer to God, which is precisely the point. And we can cheerfully give, joyfully give, knowing that each step towards God is a step towards true joy that only comes from him. Now today, as we do on the first Sunday of the month, uh, we're going to spend some time reflecting on the generosity of Christ, that he gave everything through his death on the cross so that we could have life and join him both for eternity and today in his work in the world. Uh, you should all have received the bread and the cup when you came in, but if you haven't received the elements, please just raise your hand and someone will uh, bring them to you. Now, if you're at home, uh, the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song. And so I encourage you to gather up some elements for uh, where you are so that you can join us from wherever you're tuning in from. And also, if you're here and you're not sure what we're doing right now, right, or you have yet to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life, you don't need to join us in this, right? No one will be watching. You can simply reflect along with us without partaking of the elements. This is just a moment for those of us who have been saved by Jesus and are committed to follow him to remember who we are as a people living in the mold of our generous Savior, Jesus Christ. And so with that said, as, as the band begins to play, let's reflect on the example of Christ, on his generosity towards us, and the fact that he counted it all as joy. Listen to what Hebrews 12.2 says. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear that? For the joy set before him, he laid down his life. The ultimate cheerful giver was Christ, who gave of himself joyfully, and he calls us to do the same. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at Grant Memorial Church. <laughs>